think three years ago, we had less than 50 people. Now we have more than 130 people in the company. So those folks that were with the company five years ago, they're wearing multiple hats. You don't have to have something documented, a process on paper. If you're wearing all the hats and you're just talking to yourself in your head, right? So you don't really need to collaborate with other folks. But when you get to a point where you're growing and we need to get real, you really can't manage your demand and you really can't manage your inventory and you can't manage your supply plans. So that to me was the highest priority. Ready to talk logistics? How? Can't be done. Figure out some logistics. Welcome to another episode of Supply Chain Therapy. I'm your host, Alex Kent, joined by my wonderful co-host, Michelle McNamara. Michelle, what's happening? What's up, Alex? How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? Doing well. I'm really excited to talk to today's guest, Rebecca Ilsley, Chief Operating Officer of Thermocell Repellents. Rebecca joined the Thermocell team in September 2022 as COO and has focused her efforts on bridging a high growth mentality with repeatable and predictable processes to forecast demand. She comes from Clorox, where she served as director of manufacturing after consistently rising through the organization. Fun fact, she actually started her career in R&D as a food scientist. Rebecca also took a few years off and focused on consulting so she could grow her family. All things we'll dive into today. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I am doing great, Michelle. Nice to see you again, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. I appreciate it. We're happy to have you too. So this is supply chain therapy after all. So let's kick it off with a collective deep breath. We inhale and we exhale. Every time. <laughs> Every <love> time. <laughs> Even when I listen to these, I'm always like, okay, yeah, I'll breathe. <laughs> All right, so we like to kick off our calls with the juice, the drama, just some sort of challenge that you've experienced in the past. Rebecca, do you have any good stories for us? Well, you know, from a supply chain juiciness, the one thing that comes to mind is an experience I had at Clorox managing the supply chain of the vitamins, minerals, and supplements business. And that was a challenge because we, the VMS category is very trendy right? And so it's almost mm -hmm. like fashion, right? So the biggest hit ingredient, you know, is here today, kind of gone tomorrow is very trendy, but we had a supply chain that was really set up for high volume, low cost, not necessarily for quick response and mm -hmm. uh, innovation. So really the challenge was how do we meet a sort of dynamic demand and dynamic environment that was very innovation heavy in a supply chain that was set up for internal manufactured, you know, heavy assets and high volume. So we actually went to um, supply chain segmentation, you know, that, that mm. Gartner philosophy around how do you segment your supply chain based on the product needs or the customer channel to optimize for cost, optimize for service. So we ended up taking a look at how do we create a supply chain for the innovation piece of the business, as well as sort of the, the high volume, low cost sort of base business to meet both challenges and uh, leaned into third party manufacturers that had sort of off the shelf solutions, right, ready to go that you could, you know, quick wins, kind of let the consumer decide mm. if that was a winner or not and quickly get it out to the market around innovation. Meanwhile, using internal manufacturing assets to sort of continue with the rest of the business. So I think that was a really uh, interesting challenge, new to me, right? That category was new to me, that type of segmenting the supply chain to meet both 
types of product portfolio was was also new to me. So that's something that comes to mind as far as juiciness goes. That's great. And I'm curious, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more just how you keep it cost effective when you are trying to bounce around. Is it just keeping it third party, you know, relying on other experts or is there anything else there that you might want to add? So I think that some of the costs can come from how quickly can you innovate? And so, you know, the longer you innovate, the higher the cost is going to be in that product, right? You're investing a lot of time, money in getting that product right, where if you can lean into an off-the-shelf option that's really already developed, that's a low cost right there. And then as you as you launch and the volume increases, then perhaps you can look at how do we recuperate the manufacturing, right, or change up the supply chain to, lo- to be more low cost, high volume, make different investments, manufacture internally rather than externally to recuperate some right. cost. So, but you want to test and you don't want to do that right off the top, make that investment if you don't know if that innovation is going to be successful at first. So testing and learning and then deciding based on the life cycle of that product, is it time to invest in manufacturing capability or some some other capability to really drive out some cost? So I think that's how that, you know, the life cycle goes in the product as you're looking at the segmentation of the supply chain. You just change up the supply chain as the product matures through its life cycle. You mentioned making the decision to go to third-party manufacturing. Can you walk us through the steps that you and the team took in maybe qualifying the third-party manufacturers that you ended up partnering with and what went into that decision criteria? What were you guys looking for? Was it scalability? Was it willing to work with Clorox, which as we know is a, a large you know, manufacturer and brand out there? Like, What were you guys focused on? What were kind of the, the top three main things? So Clorox does have a very robust evaluation process and qualification process for any third party and contract manufacturers included. And in a space that is FDA regulated, that Mm -hmm. is just amplified even more, right? So there Mm -hmm. are certainly regulatory requirements, quality requirements, service requirements, there's cost, and then there's also culture fit, right? So you have to find a third party that has a values match with the corporation, right? So Clorox takes that very seriously also. That was a part of the criteria that, um, that they used at the time to kind of evaluate third parties, definitely. And then you, you also made the similarity between fashion and these vitamin food supplements. It's probably something that a listener today that you know is listening to this episode doesn't really know that much about it between the ins and outs. And I think you're probably referring to the fad of you know just a new mm-hmm. product, a new skew, a new launch, and and aligning that to the market and what the consumer is expecting. But can you expand on that sort of comparison a little bit more too? Right. So I would, you know, if you know the vitamins and minerals and the supplements category, it's very much about what is the health trend du jour, right? What is important to consumers today? And a lot of times it's an ingredient. They call them hero ingredients. And so those Mm -hmm. are very trendy, just like you know, fashion mm-hmm. has trends, a colors in one season, it's out another season. So the vitamins and minerals and supplements category has, a, you know, ingredient that might be of concern today. And then, you know, lion's mane or, you know, whatever it might be, it might be collagen, you know, though th- that type of thing, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have sustaining power for years and years and years, but it might have, a, you know, two or three years of sustaining power. So it's sort of like that akin to a fashion type of industry in and out. It's like yeah. the low-waisted jeans that are coming back, right? Yeah, oh exactly. My gosh. Like all of a sudden, flare <laughs> jeans are in. <laughs> Everyone's yes. surprised now. Michelle's no. like, oh, you know Michelle, I say it. I'm hip. I, I just I don't want them to come back. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you mentioned FDA 
FDA regulation, and I think mm-hmm. that's a nice segue into thermocell repellents. And yes. so maybe for listeners that don't aren't familiar with thermocell, give us a little bit of bio of, of what, what that company does. And then what sort of regulations do you guys have to deal with? Right. So thermocell's mission statement, you're going to love this, is we liberate people who love the outdoors from the harmful effects of insects. So nice. we unmosquito your life. So if you love the outdoors and I happen to love the outdoors and you hate mosquitoes, I don't know anyone who doesn't hate mosquitoes, then Thermosol is for you. And we produce and manufacture a spatial repellent product such that you don't need to spray. You don't need to spray yourself down and your skin down with DEET. This is a spatial repellent that creates this big zone of protection, 20 feet zone of protection around you and your family so that you can enjoy that outdoor patio. You can enjoy the soccer game. if you're a hunter or fisher, you can you know sit in the deer blind and you don't have to worry about getting bit by mosquitoes. And the best thing about our product is that it works. People love it. And it is a product that is gifted. So people love to gift it to their friends. That is probably, we're so proud about that because that is the the best type of endorsement, right? Is if a consumer actually gives it to a friend or family member because they they trust and they know that product works that well. So that is our, our reason to be. And we love that reason to be. So we're all about, yeah, unmosquitoing your life. Disclaimer. I- I'll endorse it right now. I've been a Thermosol <laughs> customer for a while now. Uh, a friend of mine who is a hunter uh, recommended it, and I, we use it in my backyard during the summertime, especially here in Georgia. You know, mosquitoes yes. are everywhere, so I'll endorse it. But tell us a little bit about why you made the leap to to join the Thermosol team, uh, besides being an awesome product. But tell us about you know what you were looking for, what expertise were they looking for, uh, and, and that kind of matchmake uh, where you ended up with Thermosol. Sure. So, you know, I had been at Clorox for 14 years, and so I had uh, had a lot of great experience there. But I was looking for something, a new challenge, and I was looking for a category and a company that was growing. And Thermosel has been growing like crazy uh, over the past five years, and it was, you know, the, the future is really, really bright because we have an opportunity to build brand awareness and to build what I'm calling so- solution awareness. A lot of people don't mm. know that thermocell exists and there's a solution to their mosquito problem. And so for me, mm-hmm. there was a lot of blank pages to fill, a lot of white spaces to build out, a lot of process to build, a lot of uh, team building, right? A, a lot of culture building. And I, that was really uh, interesting to me. So being able to join a company that was had sort of that entrepreneurial spirit, but also really hungry for process discipline and for being more organized or thoughtful about our approach to supply chain was really attractive to me. So I wanted to uh, really come to a company where I could make an impact and build something really fun. And the culture here is amazing. The people are incredible at Thermosel and, uh, and you can't, you can't argue with the product. The product is amazing. So I can get behind that. If I can get behind a product that I believe in, then I'll do whatever it takes. So that's awesome. Yeah. And so you mentioned coming to Thermosel for process. What's scary is when there isn't as much process, man, it can feel overwhelming. Where do you start? What do you prioritize? Mm-hmm. So can you walk us through how you did that, what you prioritized and, and where you went? Sure. So Thermosel had process, right? They had... Okay. Um, some. They just didn't, it wasn't as mature. So, you know, because the company hasn't been around as long. So it wasn't as mature. There wasn't as much experience. There wasn't as many runs through the pipe as far as many, as many seasons maybe under the process. So what I considered is, 
you know, where, first of all, where are the biggest opportunities for us to, to drive service, right? To drive cost. Do we have the right talent, right? Do we have the right team? There are, there are going to be some things, some fires that you just let burn, right? You know that that is an issue. Um, it's not the highest nail, right? And you can walk by that every day and know mm-hmm. it's there, but I'm going to get to that eventually. So for me, I think the biggest opportunity for us was really to take a look at our sales and operations planning systems, right? And if mm-hmm. I think about supply chain, my opinion is SNOP is the brain of the supply chain, right? So if you if you don't have SNOP the where it needs to be, then you really can't manage your demand and you really can't manage your inventory and you can't, you know, manage your, your supply plans. So so that to me was the highest priority. The other piece is of course uh, the people and the talent and the capabilities in the team. So taking a look at, hey, what are our people plans? What are our people capabilities was really important. Are we managing safety the way we need to be, right? So that's always a high priority, if not the priority. Keeping people safe every day is always my number one. So those were the key priorities for me coming in. I love it. And are there any pieces that were pretty exceptional before you started that maybe you want to give a shout out to your team and then... Any pieces that you've built since you've joined that you're also pretty proud of, you know, evolving? So I think that I'm really, really pleased with the team as far as they've managed so much change and they've managed so much dynamics, right, in supply chain over the past few years. I mean, yeah. they started up, we they recuperated manufacturing. So it was 100% third-party manufactured up until mm-hmm. about two years ago. They recuperated an in-house uh, manufacturing, a portion of the manufacturing, which is a huge task, right? Wow. It's a huge yeah. lift. And it was, you know, on a, on, a, on a skeleton team, right? A really a small team, but a mighty team. And so that is something that I, you know, huge kudos to them, in, you know, installed, Production lines, installed capabilities, uh, mul- you know, wow. multiple in- uh, production lines. So that was, the, I think that is something that I, I was really impressed with coming in. Also, just impressed with just you know, it's a they have a can do spirit. In fact, that is one of was one of the values of the of the company and the organization was can do. So, and they live it. They live it every day. So they work hard, play hard. So that that was something that I was really impressed with. Since coming on board and building, I think one of our opportunities was to take a look at, like I said, SNOP to get real about it. Because, you know, when you have a company that, you know, I think three years ago, we had less than 50 people. Now we have more than 130 people in the company. So a lot of growth, a lot of growth with people. But those folks that were with the company five years ago, they were wearing multiple hats. So you don't have to have something documented, a process on paper. If you're wearing all the hats and you're just talking to yourself in your head, right? So yep. <laughs> if you're if you're running SNOP in your head, you don't really need to collaborate with other folks. And so, but when you get to a point where you're you're growing and we need to get real, right? You need to be real about SNOP. So I think that was one of the things that I was proud about was building that out, really getting serious about it, and ha- making sure we had every facet of that process in place so that we could use that to run the supply chain. I'm curious on the, to your first point about what the team did before you arrived and, and I guess manufacturing in-house instead of third party, like what's the business benefit? What did they look at? And maybe you're not privy to it, but what were the business benefits of bringing it back in-house, managing that manufacturing process rather than relying on that third party? So for Thermosol, we wanted to make sure that we could respond quickly to demand. So it's a seasonal business, right? right? It's very dependent on weather. And the portion that we recuperated was our refills, 
right? So if we can have refills be a really responsive in season to be sort of in the market. So if we could produce it in North America and be more, more responsive to the North American market in season, that was the logic and the tactic behind it. And also there's not a heavy capital investment with the refills um, compared mm-hmm. to injection molding of our devices. That's a much a much more heavier capital investment. So refill strategy for in-housing refills is um, is an area where I, I think that was a smart decision. That's something that I, I would stand behind also, just to be more responsive in season to the refills. As, as people buy a device and a refill, they go back depending on, you know, how much time they spend outdoors. Hopefully they're spending a lot of time outdoors and need a lot more <laughs> refills. We can fill that demand really quickly and our lead time is much shorter for refills. That's great. And so if there is a shorter cycle, what are the different pieces of the supply chain that you have to build to support it? Like, did you have to get more 3PL providers or manufacturers? Like, how did you set that up to, to support the, the kind of quicker turnaround? One of them was actually investing in manufacturing it ourselves, right? So investing yes. in filling lines, um, investing in um, cartners, um, blister pack machines, like all of that type of investment. Um, that was one of the things that we did. And so we, we you know, near short it, you know, invested in North America here in Atlanta, Georgia, where we manufacture those, those parts and those, those products for consumers. We also build our own displays. So in store displays, freestanding displays, sidekicks, trays, all of those types of merch vehicles for customers. We're doing a big part of that ourselves also. So that is a capability that we, we built for ourselves too. That's a, you know, people capability, but we also have the space and uh, the facilities to do that as well. We fulfill our own orders. So we do our own order fulfillment direct to consumer as well as B2B. And so that is a capability that we're also proud of, gives us a lot of flexibility and we can, you know, lean in and, and staff up if, if we need to, to, if depending on what our demand looks like um, in season, um, gives us a lot of flexibility there as well. That's great. And nearshoring is a very popular topic. So I am curious, it seems like such a perfect fit for Thermacell. I mean, right, with the refills and, and wanting it to be a quick turnaround. Were there any other pros and cons that went into that decision? Service and cost, I think, are the big the big ones. You know, we are international, so we have an international business also. We have a very healthy business in the Nordics in Northern Europe. And yeah. so we have a global supply chain for that purpose. And so I think that we have a different, it's a different supply chain in Europe. We use distributors for Europe versus in North America. We don't, right? We, f- we fulfill for ourselves. We're self-fulfilled. And so I think cost, cost nef- definitely is a driver in that. I would say 100% as well as service. So those are, those were the two pros. As far as cons go, I think you also have to make sure that you've got the business to a size, right? That can support mm-hmm. the investment. It also has to do with volume. So if you get to a certain, a certain volume, you tip to that side of the equation where it makes more sense to make that investment in internal manufacturing, similar to this, you know, the supply chain segmentation um, that we were talking about earlier with the Clorox yeah. example, right? It's a very similar dis- decision matrix as far as when does it make sense to make that investment where you have the volume to kind of absorb the overhead and the cost. And so that's, that's sort of the decision tree that you go through when you're making those calls. You mentioned segmentation. I, I want to kind of move on to the next topic of lessons yeah. learned from Clorox that you brought in. Obviously, the segmentation and you know nearshoring is one of those. But you know, th- I guess it's, you're an EPA registered product, and obviously, there's a lot of regulation around a lot of Clorox's mm-hmm. products. So what other learnings, you know, relating to that, did you bring over from your past experience into Thermacell, and how did that help? You know, get started, get the operation running. Well. 
One of the things about being a registered product is having a very good quality management system to support that, right? So adhering to the regulation is one thing, making sure that you're compliant, but then you also have to have the operation systems to ensure that you're compliant, ensure that every product you make every day is meeting all of the regulation. So one of the things that um, I brought over, I think from Clorox was that QMS background, quality management system background, that um, quality mindset. And so we're we're really investing in quality systems at Thermocell also to support our need to be EPA registered, but also just to make sure that every product we ship every day meets the consumer promise and meets the, the regulation and it's safe. Our products are safe to use. And so we want to make sure that, 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 you know, our quality systems support that and ensure that every day. So that's probably one of the big things, Alex, is bringing in that sort of experience that I had at Clorox, just managing. I managed the global quality team. Uh, I was the, mm-hmm. the director of global quality assurance for, for a, a few years at Clorox. And so brought that sort of mindset, I think, to the thermocell as well. A lot of similarities. It's not exactly the same um, EPA registration requirements, but it's it's similar. Obviously, I think it's important for the consumer to you know feel safe with your product, right? It, it's going to be around their home. It's going to be around their family, their pet. It's going to be outside, you know, interacting with it every day. How do you ensure that, you know, you're testing the product and it is safe for the consumer and that, so that not only are they repeat customers, but, you know, you're, you're manufacturing to a high standard and, and it's a safe product? So we have at Thermosol, we have a regulatory team and we have a chemistry team, a science team, and they do all of the um, EPA required testing. We do the testing to make sure that where our equipment and our devices are emitting the uh, the amount that they should be, right? So that uh, we test all the incoming materials, all the active ingredients to make sure that we're using what we're supposed to be using, right? And it meets the requirements, it meets the label, and that we're meeting the EPA registration for that chemical and that chemistry. And we also do testing with universities and laboratories around the country, mm-hmm. right? And we've done testing to make sure it's safe around water, that it's safe around pollinators, right? So we don't, we're not disrupting bees or other insects and other animals, and that it's, it's safe around humans. And so those are all tests that our regulatory and science team does in partnership with the EPA, but also with universities around the country. We also lean on our vendors for that too. So our mm. vendors are very good partners with us, uh, the vendors yeah. that we purchase the actives from. And so they do a lot of that testing also and share that with us. And so those partnerships are incredibly important to our success as well. Yeah. Excellent. All right, let's move on to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, women in supply chain. And so you have a really incredible story. You made some choices around how you wanted to build your family and build a career at the same time. So maybe you can share share with us your story there. Oh, I'm so glad you asked me, Michelle. I would love to. So I started my career in R&D and after I was a scientist and I did a lot of food R&D, I have a food background and that was a lot of fun. And to start my family, I decided to stay home. And I want, that was what I wanted to do was spend time with my daughters when they were very young. And so I decided to just t- press pause for a little while and stay at home. What I wanted to also do, though, is kind of keep my toe dipped in the industry. So I did some consulting, actually consulted with Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Coca-Cola Research and development, which was great. That kind of, I did, I did a, you know, less than part-time, right. But it was project 
on a project basis. And it was just to kind of keep me active and also so that when I wanted to go back to work, I would have something to talk about. Right. So that I had something to span the time. I took six years away. And so then when I wanted to go back to work full time, that really served me well. You know, I was able to sort of keep my skills sharp and also spend time with my girls. And so those those were really cherished years that I had at home with them. Full on uh, stay at home mom, room mom, you know, dance mom. Cheer yeah. mom, the whole, the whole, the whole mom <laughs> thing, which was awesome. So, but, uh, but I really enjoyed it. And I also went back to work full time and it was important for me to set that example for my daughters too. You can, you can build a career, you can have a family at the same time. It's important. All the, all the work that you're doing in your education is important, you know, so you have a choice. You can have the choice to work full time or not. It's up to you. You can decide what you want to do and what's right for your family. And I, I wanted to make sure that I role modeled that with my girls. That's incredible. And I think it's, I mean, you're a role model for everyone because I think, you know, as a young mom, it's scary to think if I were to remove myself from the workforce, what would happen six years down the road when I want to reenter? And so it's so great to hear your story and that, you know, you found a way to keep your skills sharp, but also do what was right for you and for your family. Any other maybe advice or just things that you learned in your experience that you would share for someone else that was maybe weighing those decisions or thinking about how they want to balance both? For sure. So I always tell people that I took that time off because I don't I, I, I don't want women to think they can't. Like, I don't want women to be afraid that they can't and that they can't get back in the game. You can do it, right? So I do make sure that I tell people that and I share that I share that story because I do think people think it's taboo to talk about. You know, they don't really know what, yep. you know, how to how to manage that time and make that choice. So and it's not it not it's not a choice for everyone. So so that's the other part, too, I think. And I, I don't necessarily have any uh, issue at all with anyone that makes a different choice or makes the same choice. One of the other things I would say is if I think about my career, like I said, I I started in food science. Right. I have a master's degree in food science. Thermocell, by the way, doesn't make anything that you can eat. So, so I, I, my career has gone from food all the way to something very different. And so, but if you look at the path, it kind of made sense at the time, right? So I started in R and D, started CPG, right? Thermocell is a CPG business. So there's a lot of things akin to food manufacturing as well as, as any kind of manufacturing and CPG industry. So what I, I always tell people is don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to open the door and walk through the door. Don't don't be afraid to learn and don't be afraid that you've just because you've never done that before that you can't find something that relates to it. Like you've done something that relates to that opportunity. So, you know, when I when I joined Clorox, they have a very wide portfolio of products. Food was one of them. So I felt very comfortable in food. And then food is kind of similar to vitamins, right? And then food and food is and vitamins are kind of similar to personal care. So there's a lot of things that were similar that I could sort of relate my past experience and, but continue to learn. So I always took a step outside of my comfort zone with one foot, but kept one foot back where I was comfortable. So I was never out of balance necessarily. I was kind of like yeah. balanced. So, and same thing with making the the move to Thermacell, right? So Thermacell's supply chain needs were different than what I had had experience doing before, but I could, I did, had done a lot of things that related to what Thermacell needs. And so I'm leaning on that experience every day, but learning a lot at the same time. And so I would just 
I just tell people, don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to walk through that door, take a leap, you know, take a risk and, and just lean on your past experience and be creative with what you've done before and how you can apply it. So be creative in the way you apply what you've learned and your skills and capabilities to a new challenge. That would be my advice. I'm getting chills. Um, <laughs> all right. One other question related to women in the industry. So supply chain specifically, very male dominated. Mm-hmm. How has been your experience in supply chain? And maybe if there are any learnings that you would share with other women in the industry. So Michelle, I get asked that question a lot and I probably should have a better answer than I do, but I don't. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that for me, I, I did not let it kind of get in my head. Right. So yes, yeah. I was a lot of times the only woman at the table. Yes. My path was unusual for a female leader. I had some incredible mentors. So incredible mentors, many of whom are men. Right. And so, nice. and they never ever one time said, girl, you can't do that. Right. It was never. And it was more like, what do we need to do to build that skill and that capability? So you're ready for the next role. And so I think that that was the other part is I, the men that I worked with, they always gave me permission to be there at the table with them. And so that was, I was fortunate to have some, an amazing male colleagues. I still have amazing male colleagues at Thermacell. I work with some amazing women. Thermacell's the leadership team I'm on is the most diverse leadership team I've ever been on. Our CEO is a woman. It's an incredible group of people. I'm honored to be a part of it actually. And so it's, it's been great. And I have at Thermacell, I have, we have a very diverse supply chain team. The DC manager that works uh, for me is, is a woman as well as the plant manager here at Thermacell as a woman. So I think for now, for me now, I'm kind of, I guess, paying it forward, right? And investing in female talent around me in supply chain and making sure that those female leaders have the skills and capabilities that they need to be successful. And so I think for my career, like you said, it it is still male dominated um, supply chain. I know it's changing. And I think um, what I would say is I just tried not to let it get into my head at all and just kind of like just push that aside and just, you know, like I said, solve the business problem. How can I contribute and how can I be at the table and solve the business problem? That's great. Incredible. And it sounds like, you know, if you were to speak to other males in the industry, let's use poor Alex, who's on the call today. Alex, He's a great partner for women, but you know, let's say the men on the call are listening, your advice for them. It sounds like really just opening that door and helping provide mentorship for you know, folks that maybe are underrepresented in in the industry. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Or or do you feel like that kind of sums it up? I think that's right. You know, I think that there's a lot of companies that have diversity, equity and inclusion efforts, right? That what I would say that, and I, and I've, I've said this at Thermosel is allyship is so important. So if you're someone who, you know, if we're talking about women, for example, that works for a woman, manages a woman, works with a woman, then, you know, and that's, by the way, all of us, right? We all (laughs) either work for, manage, or work with a woman. Then, you know, just support, be an ally, Um, you know, mentor where you can, coach where you can, and don't let it get in your head either, right? I think that's the other thing too. Right. We're all people, right? So how do we, how can we make sure that we're, we're treating each other as colleagues and uh, not let gender kind of be that lens that we look through? I know that's, that's a big ask and that's, that's probably impossible, but I think that would be something that I would say is, um, let's just treat mm-hmm. each other as colleagues. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to our, our next and final segment, speed round fun questions. Rebecca, are you watching anything good right now? 
Well, I'm watching the Braves. The Braves are always good. So I live in Atlanta <laughs> watching the Braves as much as I can. So that's awesome. Um, and the other thing is I'm, I, I'm listening to a lot. I'm listening to, I'm actually listening to a lot of podcasts. I am listening to supply chain therapy podcasts, first of all, but also I love true crime podcasts. And so I can, I can drive and listen to podcasts at the same time. And that is sort of my, my guilty pleasure is, is true crime podcasts right now. I think my daughters think that there's something wrong with me. They're a little bit concerned, <laughs> but, um, but I just love it. It's just an escape for me just to kind of think like, I can't believe they did that. Like I just, I just love true crime. That's, so that's, that's good. That's right. What do you do to unwind uh, when things get stressful? So I love yoga. Um, nice. That is my therapy. That is sort of the way I can uh, breathe and get through, get through the week, get through the day. It's been a godsend, actually. So I think that anyone who's worked in supply chain over the past four years <laughs> needs a lot of therapy. <laughs> and so it's been a time. Um, and yoga has really kind of saved my saved me. It's been a it's been a big for me. I'm a big hot yoga fan. Um, oh, I love hot yoga. A lot of people don't know that about me, but anyway. <laughs> uh, last question here, more thermocell related. Yeah. How can our listeners find the product as we get ready for summertime? Spring is here already. How do we get ready for summertime with thermocell product, protect our, our family, our pets, our kids, and uh, enjoy the great outdoors? Well, you know, it is spring right now, and the mosquitoes are coming. So they are coming, everyone. So get ready. And you can go to your local box store. So Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, Amazon, um, Thermacell.com, Costco, all of your uh, favorite retailers carry Thermacell. We are also in all of your favorite sporting goods stores. So Dick's, Academy, Cabela's, Bass Pro, all of them have it. So Sam's, all of it. So we are, we, our distribution is actually very great and it's very broad and we are uh, loading up right now. So they will have your favorite uh, thermocell device. I promise. I'm ready to load up this weekend. I need to restock. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. This was a, a ton of fun, great insights. And, uh, and thank you for, for being a part of supply chain therapy. Well, it's been a pleasure and an honor. So thanks for the invitation. And it was uh, great to spend this time with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.